0: Amen. Thank you, Cindy. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I really didn't finish the introduction for Campus Outreach. I just said some of them work at Walmart. Some of them work at Chick-fil-A. Some of them work in the Sea shack But they're also here to do ministry, and so they they meet and have Bible studies. They work in the environment of this end of Myrtle Beach, Garden City, and uh, impact lives. And so... um, Thank you, Campus Outreach. Raise your hand if you're with Campus Outreach. All on this side, there's about 45, I think, that come here on Sunday. There's about 100 of them, and so they go to three different churches in our area. In fact, there's other Campus Outreach groups up and down the beach um, doing the same thing from different places. Chapter 5 of Galatians. I've been preaching through Galatians. I know for some of you, this is your first Sunday here, so unless you go back and listen to the podcast... You don't know where we are, so let me catch you up to date. The main thing is this. Paul has evangelized a group of churches in an area called Galatia. And he's writing a letter to them primarily because heresy has entered the church. And the primary doctrine or the primary heresy that's entering the church in a nutshell is this. They're being taught, Jesus is good, but he's not enough. What Paul had taught them had set them free. And so imagine a brand-new believer, excited about their new life in Christ. They're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and they're walking in that. And now some other religious people are coming along saying, Hey, listen, that's great. But if you want the full blessing, you need to do this. And some of the this had already infiltrated the church, and that was observing seasons and years and days and months. They were observing the religious calendar. Maybe even some of the dietary laws... But the big one was they were being pushed towards circumcision. What Paul had already taught them was this. You're already children of Abraham. Because of your faith in Christ, you're now part of this lineage of Abraham. God had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to multiply his seed. That he was going to have so many children you couldn't count them. It would be like walking out and looking at the stars in heaven. And God said, that's how many children you're going to have. And the cool thing is this. When God made that promise, how many children did Abraham have? None. How old was Abraham? Old. (laughs) His wife's name was Sarah. How old was she? Old. In fact, you could say too old. They were too old to have children, and yet God blessed them with a child. There's a problem. Abraham and Sarah thought, well, we need to give God some help. And so the end of chapter 4, Paul talks about the free woman, Sarah, and the bondwoman. They went to the bondwoman and allowed her to have Abraham's child ishmael and so paul has been illustrating through this old testament line of abraham disobedience really and said basically do you want to be part of the free side or the slaved side paul saying you have been set free live that way so let me read verses 1 through the first part of 13 galatians chapter 5 it was for freedom that christ set us free therefore Keep standing firm, and do not be subject to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren... If I still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brethren. You get the sense from Paul that he's, he's angry? <laughs> I think there's times as he's dictating this letter, he is steam's coming out of his ears, a little smoke. Why? Because these are his dear children in the faith. That's the way he viewed them, and he wasn't there right now. So word's getting to Paul, and Paul's having to turn around, write a letter back to the churches in Galatia, and the letter will be distributed among the churches for them to read it. And he's basically saying, you've been set free. Don't go back to slavery. If you had asked the Jews of that day, are you children of Abraham, they would have said, oh, absolutely. Why? Because of birth. I was born into the family of Abraham. So what the Judaizers were doing, these Jews who were becoming Christians and had become Christians and yet still had this error in their mind that they're teaching these brand-new believers, well, in order for you to become children of Abraham, you've got to keep the law. You've got to honor the festivals and the holy days and the dietary laws. And, oh, by the way, you've got to be circumcised. So to the Jews, how are you a child of Abraham? Well, by birth, Paul's already told them that's how you're a child of Abraham too. You, here. Garden City Chapel, July 16th, 2017. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you're part of that lineage too. And it's the cross plus nothing. And yet the Judaizers were adding. Let's look a little bit. The alternative is slavery. Christ set us free for freedom. Duh. That, that ought to follow. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. What did Jesus do to set us free? Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, never sinned. After about 33 years, was crucified on a cross to pay the penalty for whose sin? Ours. Not his. He died, a truly innocent man, the only one that's ever lived, paid the penalty for our sin, rose from the dead on the third day. And it was because of that he came to pay for your freedom. You have been freed in Christ. You've been freed from the guilt-inducing power of the law. The Old Testament law was given by God. It was a good thing. But what did it point to? It pointed to our desperate need for a Savior. Why? Because we can't keep the law. We need need desperately a Savior. In fact, these next couple of chapters in Galatians are Paul's word of how to live the Spirit-filled life. So he says, you've been been freed for freedom. That's the true statement, so here's what you need to do. Therefore, keep standing firm. Boom. Boom. If you know the truth, stand on the truth and keep both feet there. Have you ever tried to get on a boat and you got one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat and you kind of hesitate and the boat starts moving away from the dock? What happens? You either need to make a real quick decision that I'm getting in the boat or I'm getting back on the dock or you're going to do an uncomfortable split and probably end up in the water. I have a picture of this when I was a kid. Our, our church, probably royal ambassadors for any of you that remember that. I think we went out to this guy's lake. And we came up with this game. There were two boats there. And we said, all right, half of us are getting in this boat. And the other half are getting in this boat. And we're going to have a war. And what we did was we went and got pine cones. And we decided that group's going to start at that side of the lake. The other group's going to start at this side of the lake. And we're just going to come at each other and just nail each other with these hard pine cones. Some of us had sense enough to grab some trash can lids. One of the guys, a good friend of mine, his name's Jeff. He's in ministry. He's a youth pastor right now in Georgia. He tried to get in our boat, and I decided he's not getting in our boat, so we just started paddling back as fast as we could from the shore, and so he had one foot on the shore, one foot in the boat. Unfortunately, Jeff did the uncomfortable split, landed in the water, hit his arm on a rock, and broke his arm. Now, what's that got to do with anything? (laughs) As painful as that is, it's more painful to have one foot on the truth. And now somebody comes and gets in your ear and starts telling you, this isn't enough. And so you hesitate between two opinions and you start getting one foot off the truth. And you get one foot in this lie. And in order to have the full deal here, you've got to keep the law. Part of the law is dietary. Part of the law is these seasons, these festivals, these celebrations. And for men, part of the law is you need to be circumcised. In fact, men, you may get uncomfortable today by the end of this passage, what Paul actually says. So Paul says, stand firm. Keep standing firm. And how do you do that? Folks, every day you have to come back to the gospel. Every day you come back to the truth. And say, you know what, am I standing both feet on the truth? What's the truth? The truth is that Jesus Christ loved you enough. God loved you enough. The Father loved you enough to send His Son to live that perfect life, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So apart from Christ, who pays that penalty? You do. We've all sinned, right? Romans three We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, Romans six twenty three. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul's saying, keep going back to the truth. And students, adults, that's what I'd say to you this morning. When you start doubting, when somebody, it could be a preacher, it could be a well-meaning friend, or it could be a total huckster that's trying to trap you and trip you up in your faith. If anybody starts telling you something that doesn't point to Christ and His finished work on the cross, stand on the truth. Come back to the truth and don't buy the lie. Paul says, don't be subject to a yoke of slavery again. Yokes were used in those days. You probably don't see yokes too often, but in order to pull a wagon, they would yoke two animals together, perhaps cows. They'd put this wooden beam between the two of them with a Hole for their neck, and they'd pull together. And you hope you got two equally yoked animals who would pull together. What if one of them went rogue? <laughs> well, the strongest one, if he goes rogue, he's going to pull this other one with him. You don't have any choice because you're linked together. And Paul's saying, don't be yoked. Don't take on a yoke of slavery again. You've been set free. So act like it. Then Paul says, behold, I. Paul, behold, I, just in case you don't know who I is, he says, Paul, say to you, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Let me explain that. Had Paul been circumcised? Yeah. Why? Because he was a Jew. Was Timothy circumcised? Yeah, because his mother was a Jew. Paul allowed that. Here's what Paul's saying. If you turn to circumcision to complete your work of salvation, then you have left the reservation. (laughs) You've left Christ behind. You're saying by that, Christ wasn't enough. i got to do something else. I need to add to the finished work of the cross. Anytime you add to the cross, the finished work of the cross, it becomes an enemy. Anything becomes an enemy then of the cross. So Paul says, if you receive cr- circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you because you're saying Christ isn't enough. He says, I testify again. Every man who receives circumcision is under the obligation to keep the whole law. Here's what you're saying. If Christ isn't enough, and you need to add something to that, and you add circumcision, what you're basically saying is, I'm now adding the law, well, then you've got to keep the whole law. And if you somehow think by keeping the whole law, in other words, I'm going to get to God because I've lived a perfect life. I've done enough good deeds to earn my salvation. How do you ever know you've done enough? In fact, it's not just doing enough, it's doing them all. How many of you want to face God someday with sin in your life? Hoping that you've done enough. When Paul says, no, it's not just doing enough. You've got to keep the whole law. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all the hundreds of other laws in the Old Testament that were good, but they were pointing to a need for a Savior. They're not what saved you, they're what brought you to the Savior. You face God, and let's just say you mess up the last day. Then you're separated from God forever. Why? Because you were counting on something that was all about you. Human effort. And you left Christ behind. In fact, he says you've been severed from Christ. I think he's using the same illustration, analogy of circumcision, the severing that is involved with that. He said you've now not only cut yourself there, you've cut yourself here. You've severed yourself from Christ because you're seeking to be justified the law. Literally, you have fallen from grace. We're going to hear that word again in a minute. So what is grace? Grace is receiving something you don't deserve. Ephesians 2 says you have been saved by grace through faith, not a result of your works. Why? Because if it's something I did, then I I could brag about it. I could boast about it. But when I come to Christ, I come empty, like the song we just sang. You've fallen from grace. The Galatians haven't done it yet, but they were this close. Why? Because they had already started some of the law. They had already started, we found out in chapter 4, they had already started keeping the days, the weeks, the festivals, the seasons, the months. So the alternative is slavery. In other words, you can walk by faith in Christ or you can be a slave. And Paul's saying don't put that yoke back on you. But secondly, the Spirit produces fruit. We, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for our hope of righteousness. Here, here's the good news that Paul's sharing with them. Because of the Spirit, by faith, Hebrews 11, excuse me, yeah, Hebrews 11, one says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then later in the chapter, chapter, verse 6, it says, Without faith it's impossible to please God, for anyone who comes to Him must believe that He is, And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. That's how we live the Christian life. We come to Christ by faith. We live the Christian life by faith. By faith in what? By faith that the cross was enough. That Jesus loved us. Jesus saved us. So we're waiting for this hope of righteousness. I want you to get this. Yeah, there's a hope. Your sanctification, your justification was paid for the day you trusted Christ. The verdict was rendered in heaven The gavel fell. The judge pronounced innocent. But we're still hoping for that to see it one day face to face. One day we're going to see God face to face. And he's going to say, welcome in, my good and faithful servant. So that's a hope we wait for in righteousness. And Paul says, listen, circumcision, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. But what does? Faith working through love. Not the flesh working through self-effort or self-sacrifice. It's faith that means everything. Then he says, you were running well. Paul's saying, listen, what what happened? You started well. Who has hindered you? Who got you off your course? Any runners here? Anybody run? We have a 5K race here in the spring to raise money for our children's home ministry. So if you're ever in the area, you run in it. We just had our fourth race. I have crossed the finish line first every year. Seriously. Seriously. Does that surprise you? And you're wondering, how does he do that? Well, it's because I'm in a police car leading the people behind us. This year I had to keep telling the police officer, you got to speed up. The dude's about to pass the car. And we carefully go out and mark the course. We actually have people standing on the course to say, go this way. So Paul says, what hindered what you? The word hindered literally means obstruct. Who pointed you in the wrong direction? It wouldn't take but one person out there to say, you know what? Take a shortcut. Head to Krispy Kreme. I mean, that's a whole nother race. <laughs> I've heard about a race in Raleigh where you run to Krispy Kreme, eat a dozen donuts, and run back. And I've said, I'll do like, I'll do that with somebody. I'll be waiting on you at Krispy Kreme. When you get there, I'll eat the dozen donuts. You run back. Well, what would happen if just one person out there saying, No, don't go that way? I know that's the way everybody else went, but go this way. That's what Paul's saying. Who hindered you? Who obstructed your progress? Who got in your way and got you off course? Well, who was it? It was the Judaizers. Paul's been talking about him and using that word for the entire letter to the Galatians. Who hindered you? Somebody has cut you off. And what happens if you run the wrong course? You get disqualified. You were running well. Who hindered you? Who obstructed you from doing what? From obeying the truth. You were standing firm on the truth. And Paul's having to remind some of us, get back to the truth. Who's hindering you from that? It's people in your ear telling you this isn't enough. Paul said as soon as you put one foot off of that, you're in danger Of splitting. You're in danger of falling. And he says, this persuasion did not come from him who called you. In other words, this is not from God. So these people who claim to be God's children, sons and daughters of Abraham, who are telling you the wrong thing, that didn't come from God. That is not God showing up to say, I'm trying to correct what Paul got wrong. Didn't come from God. The Spirit produces fruit. And then the last one, I just like this phrase, haters are going to hate. Haters are going to hate. Listen, there's people. let's bring it into the 21st century. There's people that if they hate, they're just going to be haters. And so if you try to live the Christian life in this generation, there's some people that ticks them off. I don't know why it ticks them off, but it does. But it's an age-old issue. They're being fueled by the adversary that we've had since the beginning of time, and that is the devil. And they're in their ear. Haters are going ha- to hate. Verse 9 says this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You're thinking, what? How did we go from getting circumcised to baking bread? Here's what Paul, here's what he means. A little leaven, in fact, I love, I'll teach you one Greek word. Here's the Greek word, Micros. Micro. Does that sound familiar? You can't always take Greek words and say, well, it sounds like this, it must mean that. But in this case, it does. It means what it sounds like micro. It doesn't take much leaven. What is leaven? Yeast. Anybody bake bread here? Okay, one person. Do what? You bake bread? <laughs> you do now. <laughs> Why didn't you want to own up to that? Do what? All right. So there's a guy on the second row. Finally, his group has said the dude bakes bread. Have y'all ever had his bread? Has it good? Do you put leaven in it? You put yeast in it? Okay. Thank you for playing along. Here's the deal. It only takes a little yeast to affect the whole lump of dough. Just a little bit. What, Paul, what Paul's saying is it only takes a little bit of these outside influences. In fact, yeast or leaven in Scripture most of the time represents sin. It's used in Old Testament, New Testament. Most of the time it's sin. In fact, for a Jew, there were times you had to bake bread with no leaven, no yeast, hearkening back to the Exodus. In fact, at the Passover when they're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you didn't just have to not use yeast. You had to get leaven out of your house. It was a picture, it was an illustration of a new beginning in it. We're getting sin out of the house. And we're celebrating the Passover, rem- remembering that time that we ate unleavened bread. Why? Because we were in a hurry. Didn't have time for the dough to rise. So Paul says, it only takes a little till it affects the whole loaf. Listen, a little bit of bad doctrine can infect the entire church. I was leaving town one day to speak somewhere, and I heard a... An announcement came over the radio, and I won't tell you the name of the apple juice company. It was an apple juice company and said, we've had a recall, a total recall, all our apple juice off the shelves. If you have some at home, don't drink it. But then the spokesperson said, there's nothing really to really be alarmed about. It's just mold in the apple juice. And we're not, we're not recalling it for health reasons. It's for cosmetic reasons. In other words, when you shake the bottle and see dark stuff, it just doesn't look good. Well, how many of you want to drink apple juice with mold in it? And it's not about the quantity for me. There's just a little. No, I think I'll go by the, the non-mold. You can get orange juice without pulp. I want apple juice without mold. They need to start putting it on the label. Mold free. So it just takes a little bit to ruin the apple juice. It takes just a little bit to affect the whole lump. Here's what Paul's saying. Listen, the lump is the church that he's writing to. It just takes you tolerating a little bit of bad doctrine before it infects the whole lump. Here's the problem. They'd already started tolerating. They'd already started honoring the days, the weeks, the seasons, and the years. And Paul said the next step. And apparently, they hadn't taken the step yet. But the next step's going to be circumcision. And as soon as you do, you're basically saying, I can't trust that Christ is enough. So I'm going to follow the teaching of the law, and I think this is good news when Paul says, "I have confidence in the Lord. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will not adopt this other view." Paul says, "I'm writing this letter to encourage you. Don't do it. And the one that is disturbing you will bear his own judgment." In other words, the one that has come into the church and the ones that have come into the church to lead you from the truth, are going to have to face God someday. And then Paul says, whoever he is. And I don't think it's that Paul didn't know the influence, but I think he's saying, I don't care what position or rank he has. I don't care what authority he's coming from. Maybe he thinks he is somebody, so I don't care who he thinks he is. He's going to face God in judgment one day. And Paul, Paul says, why am I still being persecuted I'm not preaching circumcision. Apparently, the Judaizers are saying, well, Paul's obviously preaching circumcision somewhere because he's circumcised. And by the way, he let Timothy get circumcised. So they're trying to convince the church, you better accept this because it's of Paul. Paul said, no, the reason I'm being persecuted is because I'm telling you, you don't have to do that. You've been set free by faith, by grace, in Christ. Stop doing anything else. Live free now. In fact, to show you the anger of Paul, he's saying, listen, they think the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. This could get a little confusing in your notes if you're playing along at home. The stumbling block of the cross was for the Jew to get to God. Jesus went to the cross. To get us to God, Jesus went to the cross. That was a huge stumbling block. In fact, the word literally means a snare. It's like you'd gone out and bent a sapling over, put something on the ground to to, uh, draw you to that, but there's a noose down there with a rope, and as soon as you get in it, boom, you're caught. And for the Jew, when they looked at the cross, they could not fathom a Savior that would suffer, must less be crucified. And Paul said no. In fact, somewhere else he said, the word of the cross is to those who are perishing Foolishness, 1 Corinthians 1.18. When people look at the cross who are rejecting God, they're saying, that's foolish. But the rest of that verse, 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. You can't take the cross out of the equation and replace it with circumcision or keeping festivals or not eating bacon. It's the cross plus nothing. And you want to see how serious Paul is? I wish those who were troubling you would mutilate themselves. Let me be blunt. Here's what it really means. For those that are telling you to be circumcised, I wish they would go all the way and castrate themselves. That's what he's saying. If if a little bit's good, then how about going the whole way? And there were people in that day who had done that. They were called eunuchs. Paul's saying, that's how serious it is. It's the cross plus nothing. In the first part of verse 13, for you were called to freedom. I'll close with just three thoughts. You don't have these on the screen. You're going to have to pay attention. Write them down. First one's this. For us, okay? This is for us. Resist anyone who points somewhere other than Christ. I don't care if it's a television preacher, a popular author, somebody in the church, If they say something that doesn't square with Scripture, discount it. Forget them. Dismiss it. Come back to the truth. Second, stand firm in Christ with both feet. And third is you've got to know the truth. How are you going to know where to stand on the truth if you don't know what the truth is? So you've got to know the Word of God. So don't listen to people that point somewhere other than Christ. Stand firm in Christ in the truth. Both feet. All in, third, got to know the truth. So when somebody comes telling you a lie, it stinks. You can smell it a mile away. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Lord, your word tells us that if the sun sets us free, we are free indeed. And so God, I thank you for that. The truth of Scripture is because of Christ that we're free not because of our flesh and our effort. So, God, if there's someone here that's never trusted you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray today will be a day they get with one of their group leaders or speak to one of us on the way out just to say, I want to know that Jesus is my Savior. If there's someone here that's trusted you as their Savior, but they've been doubting, they've been struggling with faith, God, I pray today is a wake-up call, a reminder. We go back to the truth. And what's the truth? Jesus Christ loves us. He loved us enough to die for us. He died for us to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could know you. Thank you in Christ's name.